0: Our Father, we come to you as the one who gives us the truth, the one who is himself the truth. And we have in music expressed the desire of our hearts that your word will not be compromised by man or anyone, that the Holy Spirit will give us understanding to your truth this morning, that we, our Father, will proclaim your word as you have revealed it, not only to hear it, but to obey it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The message text will be read and dealt with at the end of the service not at the beginning, as is the case. And that is the way I have planned it, and you will see why in a moment. If you read the book of Jude, Jude begins, there's one chapter, and he begins by telling the people, well, let Jude say it. Beloved, Although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in, says Jude, that are trying to dethrone the Word of God. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, He said, I know that when I depart from you, there will come in among you those not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after themselves. I chose those texts because it was my intention to begin the third in the series of the reasons for believing in God, because God exists. Because Christ revealed it, because the Holy Spirit tells us, and this was going to be the beginning of man, human being, men and women. But I have a very deep concern for what is taking place in the church today, and you need to know that when we open this book, we call the Bible. We are not dealing with the opinions of men or women. We have people who are now addressing God as she and believing that they have a right to do so. I am not going to speak about things that you do not know. But Paul says it's important, as one of my teachers used to say, students, repetition is the mother of learning." And you may have heard some of these things before, but you need to hear them again because they can easily slip out of our consciousness and become a part of what we do, how we live. A well-known preacher of our day, with a congregation several times larger than ours, wrote that We should stop saying the Bible says. Why, said he? Because many people in the world do not believe in the Bible. So we should not use terms like the Bible says. But in addition to what I've said about what this one said, there are many, many more. I got hold of a situation that took place in a part of the United States... Where a church organization, a church organization, made it plain that the Bible is a reference book, but not the Word of God. And so you can see where we are. You will meet men and women, your children will meet people at school, who do not take seriously what God has said. And the more we remove ourselves from the scriptures the more paganized we are becoming. This morning, like I said, I want to tell you to reaffirm our conviction about what the Scriptures say, what the Scriptures is all about. Way back in the book of Isaiah, listen to this. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 10 and 11. This is God dealing with the people of that time. And now, go, write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for a time to come as a witness forever. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear, The instruction of the Lord. Who say to the preacher, don't preach. And to the prophets, don't prophesy. Don't prophesy to us about things that's right. Please listen to this. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us no more hear about this Holy One of Israel. Imagine that God's people saying we don't want to hear about God anymore. This is where we are in our own times. And so for the beginning text this morning, I want you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is the book of recalling. It is the book that Moses was rehearsing to the people before they entered the promised land, which he was not going to see because of his own rebellion. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 12, 32, and 33. I want to suggest to you, first of all, what the source of scripture is. Where does scripture come from? It was read to us that we did not follow cunning devices to bring about what we call the Bible. Look at verse 12. Deuteronomy four twelve. Then the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of His voice. You heard the sound of words. But you saw no form, only a voice. Let me read that again. Perhaps I should begin at verse 11. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain. And the mountain burned with fire to the very heart of the heavens. Darkness cloud and thick gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire. Please remember, the fire did not speak. God spoke from the midst of the fire. So we're not worshiping something, fire, as it were. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form Only a voice. The initiative of God to make himself known to us. They didn't go to see God. They went to hear God because God had invited them to come. God took the initiative to speak to them. They did not plan a meeting with God. God said, come, gather the people here. This is talking about when the Ten Commandments were were given, and you will hear in a minute. And from that moment, from that moment that God spoke, Moses always speaks of the Word of God. The Word of God. Moses never spoke of my words it was always what God said. Let's look into this. They came. They heard. God said, I want to speak to you. And I don't want to speak to you with what you can see, but I want to speak to you with what you can hear. Later on, the scripture will say, the word of God is in your heart Therefore the scripture is not the accumulations of the ancient putting ideas together for the future generation. But the scripture is a revelation which God comes to unveil himself, his purpose, his plan, his character to the children of Israel. When we think in terms of what God is saying to Moses, Please listen to these words. It's, uh, Exodus 31, 18. And he gave Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on the mountain, the two tablets of the testimony of the stone written with the finger of God. The scriptures are written with the finger of God. Of God the 10 commandments was not Moses idea. Exodus 31:18. Exodus 34:1. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourselves two tablets of stones like the first one. And I will write upon the tablets the words that were written on the first which was broken. Deuteronomy 4:13 says this he declared to you his covenant which he commanded you to perform that is the 10 commandments and he wrote them on the tablet of stones the last word moses spoke to the people before his departure in exodus and deuteronomy 30:10 if you obey the lord your god to keep His commandments and His statutes, which are written. The Bible is not the idea of man or woman that is to be taken in a way I can leave it or take it. We have a Bible because God revealed His very heart to us. He spoke. He spoke in a way that Moses understood. He spoke in a way that the children of Israel understood. They understood that this was not some trick that Moses was playing. No, he was not a ventriloquist. Standing here where the voice was coming from the fire. They were conscious of the fact that there was a person, a living being speaking words audibly so that they could hear so that Moses was able to write down what God had written. So it was not their ideas. At no point in his communication with the people did Moses point to himself as the source of the sacred writing. But the writing came to them by the mouth of God. I like what... Carl Henry says about this. Listen to this. Revelation, that's what the Bible is. It is God forfeiting his own personal privacy in order that he might talk to us. Revelation is God forfeiting his own privacy in order that he might talk to us. God did not want us to live a life wondering about this or that, what is right or wrong, so he wrote it out so that we can have it. When I was a student in Alberta, I remember hearing of some missionaries who had come from Poland. And they were talking about the privilege that we have in having the Word of God in our possession. And I'll never forget what the missionary said. That in one church, they had one copy of the Bible. And they would tear the pages out. And each week, they would, they would give one piece to another, one piece to another, and that's how they had the Bible in their possession. They didn't have what we have They only had one copy. And the whole congregation shared that copy. My word, how many copies do you have at home? How many copies do I have at home? Do we treasure this book, my friends, as God forfeiting his own personal privacy so he could speak with us? This is not clever vocabulary trying to manipulate people into doing something that they don't want to do. This is God taking the initiative to say, I want to communicate, I want to talk. As Francis Schaeffer says, he is there and he is not silent. The initiative. Think of it. Take a moment to think of it. Can you imagine what our world would be like, my friends, if God had not spoken? Can you imagine? I I heard something the other day that was... I heard something the other day that was quite interesting. A couple of years ago, there was the discovery, quote-unquote, there was the discovery that they had found the gene, G E N E, in man that makes man unfaithful. <laughs> Not to be outdone, two weeks ago they discovered the same gene for the woman. And I said, yes. The Bible doesn't spell it G-E-N-E. It spells it S-I-N. You see, we will do anything to keep us from hearing what God has to say. And we will develop theories and discover things that, that justifies rebellion, but we will never say, that this is wrong. And that's why God gave us the Ten Commandments because it speaks to the social fabric of a community, of a home. And when we do away with it, my friends, imagine imagine what it would have been like if there was no Bible in our world, if God had not spoken. God took the initiative. But I want you to see something else. Not only the initiative of God, but the inquiry of God. The inquiry of God. Look at verses 33 and 35 of the same chapter. Moses is asking this question on the behalf of God. He said this. Verse 33. Has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire, has any nation as you have and survived, please remember now, God was doing them a favor by not giving them a form. Because nobody can see God and live. So He spoke to them. And He spoke to them so that they might have life. He spoke to them so that they might realize that they live in a moral world. That the world is not man's creation that brings morality to the lowest denomination, but it actually is the existence of God who is the standard for morality. And as one man said, if there is no infinite to the finite, then chaos will reign. We do what we want. So, Moses asked the people, Has there been any people? Do you know of any nation who has a God that takes the initiative to communicate with His people, to give them a book, a scroll, as it was there? But here is our God. He has come to us. To you it has been shown, please listen now, to you it was shown that you might know the Lord That He is God and that there is none other beside Him. God gave us His Word that we might know that there is in our world the existence of God and that this is the true God and there is no one other God beside Him. This is the reason we have the text. This is the reason God revealed Himself to us. To the nation of Israel. And it's the same reason for which he reveals himself to the church. The church is not the development of human genius. Jesus said, I will build my church. And that church he has given his word. Now you are clean through the words that I have spoken to you. Think again what I just said. We have Bibles all over the place and there are times I tell you because I don't like to throw away my Bibles I have boxes with Bibles that I can't use anymore because they're so worn but I can't bring myself to throw them away think of people who would want that the other day I took some books from the adult class to the Salvation Army And I thought, here, we have used these books. John taught those classes. And we keep getting more and more and more. And they accumulated, so we took them there. And I wonder, my friends, if we value the privilege we have of having God's Word. Do we value the privilege we have? Has there been a people in the world... Who has been blessed with the possession of God's word as North America has? The inquiry of God compared to other nations, just think. Just think. What God was saying is that the knowledge of God comes from God, the knowledge of God does not come from, from human inquiry. Only God can reveal God. And if we are to know God, my friends, we will only know God through His Word. Listen to what Jesus said John 17, 14 to 18. Jesus declared, I have given them thy Word. The church is not the constitution of the institution. The church is founded upon the teachings of the apostles which got their words from the Lord Jesus. I have given them thy word so that we do not look to what we can see from the outer world to deal with the issues of of life and the issues of the church. The moral fabric of the church does not come from the times in which the church exists. That's where we are right now. As we'll see in a minute. This first part of this message, my friends, is only to again drive home the fact. I think I thought of this as some of our young people graduating, and they're going, as one professor said, you brought them into the world, you fed them. You clothe them. And when they get old enough for college, you bring them and you drop them off on the campus and after that they are ours. The word of God, my friends, is a privilege that God has given to us. He took the initiative to give it to us and then he asked us, has anyone been as blessed as you having the Word of God as you do. So, if this is the case, if God is the source of Scripture, that's what Paul said to Timothy as well. That's what Peter said. Holy men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's not their ideas. Not what they want. So how sufficient is this Word? Oh, I'm going to look like a TV people now. Oh, that's all right. Okay, would you want to turn it off? Okay, good, okay. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. Don't feel sorry. That's, this is not your fault. I think the, I think there's something with the evil one not wanting this word to be heard this morning. So that's the source. Let's look at the sufficiency of Scripture. If God has spoken, if God is the true God, then everything that God says must be true. Titus chapter 1, verse 2 God cannot lie. Not that He won't lie. He cannot lie. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So when God speaks, God speaks truth. He speaks what is right. He speaks what can be trusted. And when I say the sufficiency of scripture, it means that the scriptures are sufficient, competent, enough to carry us through no matter what comes to us. This is where the rubber meets the road. The scriptures given to us, as read this morning, says this. We didn't follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of Christ. But we were eyewitnesses. Please listen. I had a teacher in college when I was taking introduction to archaeology who said, the spade, the spade went deep enough to bring us the evidences. <laughs> the spade, the archaeologist digging into the earth. I'll never forget that, that, that picture. Let me ask. When the archaeologist digs up the earth, And finds proof of the Bible. When C.S. Lewis says something about the Bible. Does that make the Bible more believable? See that's our danger. If I'm speaking and I'm being carried along. All of a sudden, yeah, C.S. Lewis said this. Aha, if C.S. Lewis says it, it must be right. No, friends, C.S. Lewis is saying it because God said it. He's not saying it because he feels he can make it right. And so we are living in a day when the historicity of the Scriptures are being challenged, not so much from outside, but inside evangelical Christianity. Let's look at the history When the Bible speaks historically, when the Bible says something about a place or a time, can we depend on that? Does the Bible have errors when it comes to history? Please listen. If God inspired the Scriptures, errors cannot be there. There is no possibility that God could make any mistakes. Jesus said, your word is truth. So when the Bible speaks and makes historical claims, it is because it is true. Perhaps no writer of the Bible helps us with the history of our faith, as does the disciple called Luke. Take for example what we read in in Luke chapter 23 verse 1. Then the whole body of them arose and brought him before Pilate. They brought Jesus before Pilate. Do you know, my friends, that for a long time the existence of Pilate and his work was denied by professors, by people who did not believe the Bible? Lois and I were in Caesarea, Philippi, and one of the first things we came upon was what is called the. Uh, not that one. Oh, yeah, here it is. Yes. What is, what is called the, 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 the stone, the pilot's stone. It was right there we saw it. Please listen to this. Until 1961, before it was discovered by archaeologists, Pilate was a question mark in the minds of many. When they found that, that, that stone with <coughs> date, times, name, Pontius Pilate. In its contemporary, to, it, it was contemporary to Pilate's lifetime, and accord with what is known of his reported career, in effect, the writing constitutes the earliest surviving record, and only con, uh, evident of the historical existence of this person, otherwise known only from the New Testament the only book that spoke of Pilate in this way was found in the Bible and since it was not found anywhere else the historians discovered oh no, can't be true because the Bible says it God preserved His Word holy men of God preserved the truth and when we read the truth my friends please listen it is, known, it is a known fact that when it comes to history, so William Ramsey, an atheist, decided that he was going to retrace all the footsteps of St. Paul. Everything we find in the book of Acts. He was going to, to refute it. And so William Ramsey went through. And he traced, spent years going through what Luke wrote in the book of Acts. He retraced the steps of Paul on his first missionary journey. He began as a cynic, a skeptic, set out to prove the unreality of the scriptural record found in Luke. He went from city to city, town to town, studied the history of the nations, and found not one error in the biblical record, he ended up becoming a believer. At the end of his research, he declared that Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and, and, and Acts, was more accurate than all other historians of his time. Is the Bible sufficient when it speaks about history? History. Let me tell you what is right now under reconstruction from the evangelical world. That Adam and Eve were not the first two people that God created. That there were creations of populations before Adam and Eve. So when the Bible says, God said, let us make man; let us create men and, and women, that that's not really true. I, I mean, I love this, you know. I, I I'm trying to remember if my daughter had said it to me. But I had an occasion when she was a little girl. She must have said something because she was such a perfect child. She never did anything that was wrong. I never had to do anything to her. But she said something. And I looked into her face and I said, Honey, I have been where you are, but you have never been where I am. Fortunately, when, when Heather was born, I was not in my 20s. <laughs> I was in my late 30s. And so I've had a little bit of experience in life. And she had none. I, in fact, I remember when she got a job at 16, she was working with some friends of mine. at a a lumber store, and she came home one night really hot under the collar, and I said, what's wrong, honey? And she said, oh, this man made a pass at me at work, and he was so old. So I said, about how old? She said, oh, about 25, 26. was brought up in our home that she could believe everything that God said. That she will come across things and she's been through college. In fact, the first part of her education, I'll never forget it. She came home one day. This was a Christian institution. And she said to me, Dad, my teacher said that we shouldn't pray For anything specific, because there's nowhere in the scriptures that it says anyone prayed for anything specifically. This was a Christian institution. So I said to her, well, did he open the Bible when he said that? And I quote my daughter, he never opens the Bible in class. This was a Christian institution. That same institution later on, another institution that I'm attending now. Heather came home and she said, Dad, the lady who is teaching our class today is she classified herself as a closet lesbian. This was a Christian institution. Well, I got really hot. <laughs> And I drove over to the school and I said to the one I thought was my friend, I said, what is this I heard from my daughter that this is what you have in teaching class? And I'm going to tell you the answer did not satisfy me at all. we have my friends that that question from the back there has led to the place now where we are questioning whether adam and eve were created by god listen jesus so trusted the historicity of the scriptures that he pointed to jonah as a point of history he pointed to nineveh as a point of history Jesus was so convinced of the validity of the book of Genesis that in Matthew 24, he pointed to the days of Noah. What I'm saying to you, friends, that you will be challenged concerning the history of the Bible. But please remember, if God said it, it cannot be anything but truth. It cannot be anything but true. And I like what R.C. Sproul says. When we get to a text that we do not understand, the problem is not with the text. The problem is with our understanding of the text. The history of the Bible can be trusted. I can tell you a lot more things I don't need to get into it. Because I want to get to this other one. When the Bible makes moral claims... In Deuteronomy, Moses made sure that God was the one who spoke the Ten Commandments to the people. That God has a moral standard by which the world is to be controlled. And Jesus said of the Scriptures, They are sufficient and they are reliable. So he said in Matthew 5, Do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. See, the law, that's the first five books of the Bible. The prophets, the rest of the book, the Bible. Don't think, says Jesus, that I have come to destroy those. I did not come to do away with the stringent demands for the keeping of the commandments of God. I have come to fulfill them. Please listen, friends. The reason you and I are not called upon to follow the law is because in Christ we are following the law. In Christ he fulfilled the law, and when we are in him, we then begin to fulfill the law. The law becomes a part of our lives. When we read Isaiah 53, it is because it speaks of Christ. And when Christ identifies with it and we accept that, this is what we are given to believe by God. The law, the prophets, the scriptures are reliable in its moral claims. So that when Herod was living with his brother's wife, John the Baptist says, it is not lawful for you to do that which brings me my friends to a meeting that was held not too long ago it was a human rights conference by gay and lesbians and the rights the likes please listen to these words there are still fellow citizens perhaps even loved ones and neighbors good and decent people who hold to the fast but outgrown outworn attitudes and arguments who fail to see you that's the gay and lesbians fail to see you the same as they see their own families who will deny you the rights as most Americans take for granted. I hope that you and I will see the day when, as a nation, when we as a nation, a family, can come together and realize that the relationship between two men and two women, I are just as real as the admirable relationship between a man and a woman, quote, unquote, President Obama. What I want you to see here, friends, the Bible speaks about three areas of morality that we must deal with in our times. Abortion, capital punishment, and the family. And all three are under attack right now. And we cannot, look, we cannot look to the horizontal in spite of, of, of studies that have been done. I will not submit to a gene in me that disposes me to be unfaithful to my wife when the scripture says I am to be faithful to her. I will listen to what the scriptures have to say about abortion, about capital punishment, and about the family, not from the president, the prime minister of my own country, I will listen to what God says. The scriptures can be relied on when it comes to moral responsibilities. I can say much more, but I'm, this much I want to say. When the church begins to question, and, and I cannot tell you how many books are being written by professing Christians who deny that the Bible speaks against these things, books that are written. I don't have any, any secret pleasure in citing these things. I have great respect for the office of the president. I have a great respect for the academic excellence of some of these men and women that are writing. But friends, when the president, the college professor, the college proverse, whoever he or she may be, when their writings contradicts the word of God, I choose the word of God. And so must we. So must you. Paul, not only Jesus, Jesus recognized the authority of the scriptures in moral pronouncement. Paul said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul describes the nature of the times and he talks about suffering, Denying a scripture, selfishness, foolishness. And in the midst of that, Paul said to Timothy, in the midst of all the corruption, in the midst of all the the, the pronouncement, the the, the reassigning of roles in, in the human race, the denying of the fact that it is wrong to kill a child... Paul said to Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. No matter what season it is. Don't depend upon C.S. Lewis or the archaeologists to make you believe what the text says. Believe the text and let them prove it. But don't you wait for them to do that. You can say without a shadow of a doubt that God has spoken and God does not lie. Lastly, the Bible is reliable not only with time, but the Bible is reliable and sufficient when it comes to the future. In Matthew 22, in Matthew 22, the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection came to Jesus trying to trap him, and they said, this, seven brothers married the woman, they all died, and the last brother died, and they said, I always like this question. In the resurrection, now the people who didn't believe in the resurrection is talking about the resurrection. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Seeing that she's married all seven. And I love the answer of Jesus. He always does this. He always does this. But Jesus answered them, you are wrong. You err. You are strange. You are giving up your own convictions, the reality of what you know within your heart, because God has put it there, and you are moving away from that. That's what the word error means. Because you know neither the scripture or the power of God. When it comes to the future, my friends, no matter who it is, they cannot write about the future. Only God can. Only God can. That's all. Jesus said, if you want to know what happens when we die, if you want to know what life is going to be like when there's no more earth, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Never. See, even when heaven and earth are no longer extant, you know what will be? The word of God will be doesn't mean that we won't have it here. It means we'll have it there. Because it came from there in the first place. And so when heaven and earth are no longer, what we used to, what we used to believe by, by faith we'll now see by sight. And so Jesus said, in heaven, after the resurrection, the scriptures teach that there will not be marriage in heaven, that God's power will be such that he will make life, Supersedes the ecstasy of marriage that you can never know now. That's the power of the scripture. That's the power of God. And so Peter writes, please forgive me for going this long. I didn't expect this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myth when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw it. We were there in the mountain. But we have a more sure word of prophecy. Peter is saying, my experience will never trump the scriptures. Nothing I have seen will ever, ever do away or supersede what I have heard. We have a more sure word here. We do well. We do well if we give place to that. Because in the darkness of the times in which we live, the only light is the scripture. In the darkness of the times in which we live, the only light is the scripture. And you and I have been given the privilege to believe it. Not only to know about it, but to believe it, friends, that when the Bible speaks about those areas that I mentioned and other areas, we can say it is true because God said it and God cannot lie. Let's pray.